I want to speak about something this morning that is heavy on my heart, and there may be opportunities for you to hear something that I'm not saying. Can we just forego those and say we're not going to do that? Agreed? Agreed. I'm encouraging you to listen, and not because it's what I'm saying. It's something that I believe the Lord is bringing to us as a body, but it's something that I believe he wants to bring to the regional church, and it's been heavy on my heart for a while. To such a degree, it, it, it was just very heavy on me this week. I was in actually tears about it a few times in prayer, and so I ended up finding some other prophetic voices as well, and Francois was one of them and another, and I say, are you... And they said, no, they're feeling exactly the same thing. And this is just something that the Lord has put on my heart. So specifically, if you're 40 and under, not that that makes you special, but I don't know how often you would have heard this. And so I'm just asking if we can open our hearts, see what the Lord wants to do. Um, But let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would ignite hearts this morning. Lord, we pray for your bride. Your church, Lord, it is your bride, it is your church, your word, your cross, your body, your power, your blood. And Lord, there's no man that is a mediator. It is Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if if you do have a Bible, we're going to go quickly this morning. But if you could turn to Luke chapter 19. I read a little bit about it last week. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about the forgotten power of purity. The forgotten power of purity is something that is very much in my heart. And I I really believe with all my heart that purity is far more powerful than many people believe or know. And who knows, we need it in our generation. Yeah? But it seems to be that we cannot, because actually the Bible says you cannot teach the fear of God to people. You just cannot. It, it, they, if the fear of the Lord comes through an encounter through meeting Him, through knowing Him. But yet purity remains extremely powerful. But legalistic purity doesn't seem to stick. Hello? So, there is a power in purity, and it's what the Lord has put in my heart. So we're going to start with the story of Zacchaeus as a case in point. Luke 19 verse 1 says, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, that's the crowd, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Now, Zacchaeus, his name means pure, pure, undefiled. That's what his name means. And as we know, it was a big deal culturally to name your child something. It was actually something of who they would be and who they are. And Zacchaeus was not that. He was a liar and he was a thief and he was a tax collector. And I don't think that we can actually appreciate 
the level of animosity. It was probably, I would say, to the level of hate for this man in the community. Why do I say that? He was a chief tax collector, meaning he has all his minions running around collecting taxes and falsely collecting far more than is, in a sense, than he deserved or that he was owed. And he was a Jew. So he sold not only his spiritual identity of purity, but his national identity to serve the Roman tax system, which was oppressing them. Who knows, the one person you hate more than the enemy is the person who used to be your friend that joins the enemy. Traitor. This is what's happening. When they cannot put food on the table, when they couldn't give their children something, they hate, they disgust for this one man. Because he held the entire community, the economy of the entire community held in his hand. And he abused the oppressive system to enrich himself against his own people. This is what's actually happening. So he was, I believe, very callous, very cold, very hard-hearted. He just didn't care. He just didn't care. And you don't see all of that in the story, but that's really what was going on. So it says he sought to see who Jesus was. Why? Well, it doesn't tell us. My personal opinion is that he sought to see who Jesus was because what was the, the general belief in Jesus' day about what the Messiah would do? is that he would overthrow Rome. He would overthrow the political system and, and reestablish the glory that they had in the days of King David. Who's Zacchaeus working for? Rome. And now there's someone walking around that is said to be the Messiah. So he's like, I want to see this guy. Is this guy real? Is this going to happen? Is this going to threaten what I do? Or his heart was desperate to change. Who of you know that you can have both going on in the same person? When they're desperate to change, and they cannot seem to change. They want to change, but they cannot. But the overwhelming desire to not give up what they have, and both war against each other. Like the little devil and the little shoulder in the cartoons. This is what's going on in this guy. And so he climbs a tree, which is interesting, because he would have been dressed in all these fine clothes. That's how it was in those days. To see a man in fine clothes climbing a tree was not very common. And I'll just throw this out for free. It's not got to do with what we're talking about. But to position yourself, please hear me, to position yourself for encounter, you're most likely going to have to do something you've never done before. You can take that home and think about that. And it says, he received him joyfully. Actually, sorry, before that, he says, Zacchaeus, today I'm coming to your house. So he knows his name, but he says, I, actually, I know who you are, meaning I actually know your life, and I want to come to your house which is very different to, I want to bless you here, out here. I actually want to come to your house. And it says Zacchaeus came down and he received him joyfully, but we know what happened. The community complained. Now, then there's a major turnaround. Major turnaround. The shift and the change that came from some time with Jesus, who was the living word, the shift and the change brought dramatic Enrichment to the entire community. You think about that. The change in one man brought enrichment. The poor, it says he gave half of his goods. So he means he made the poor were no longer poor. He restored fourfold. According to the Jewish law, if you took something through falsity, you had to give it back plus 20%. It's 120%. He gave 400%. To a man that was formerly extremely greedy, 
to being extravagantly wealthy because he had encountered Jesus. Something had changed in the depth of his heart. Something shifted. Something moved. <laughs> it's called conviction. It's the power of conviction. Many people are longing and crying for revival because of the state of the nation or the state of the church or whatever. Uh, it, it bears on me the state of the church. Carry it in my heart. But you know, often we cry for power when what we need is conviction. We desperately need time with the living word, which is him. And it brings conviction into a heart that was formerly impenetrable. Nothing could get through. Not people that are hungry, not kids that don't have. They didn't care. I don't think the people were complaining anymore. Do you? They complained when he went in. Now they all become wealthy. I think it was more like, hey, go back. Go. Or they were like, Jesus, we have some other people we want you to visit. You know, whatever it was. But only time with Jesus will do that. And it starts with conviction. And, you know, we are people of the spirit here at Free Life. It is our desire, it is our heart to build a culture of people that actually genuinely know the Lord. And we are a people of the Holy Spirit because Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I leave so I can send him. But then he said, and when he comes, he will bring conviction. Desperate conviction. And there's conviction that changes, like what we see with Zacchaeus. And there's conviction that empowers. You know that when the Bible talks about faith in Hebrews chapter 11, it says faith, and it uses the word substance or conviction in different translations. In the Hebrew, it's the same. In the Greek, it's the same word. The conviction in John chapter 16, the conviction of the world, when it says faith, is the conviction. There's conviction that changes a heart. There's conviction that empowers a person. And it's the same thing. It's just as you grow. And I'm desperately praying for the Holy Spirit, I really mean this, to come with a sweeping conviction over the church, with a sweeping power of a refiner's fire of conviction over the church. So I want to talk about the forgotten power of purity. So the first was the desire in the Lord's heart for purity. He has a desire for it. Yeah, we see a man who was, it's his nature, he was, it's obviously a prophetic looking at something, his nature pure. He wasn't acting consistent with who he was. Only when you spend time with Jesus, real time, can you actually learn to be consistent with who he says you are. There is no other way. Intellectual study won't help. It's supernatural transformation that comes from presence, that comes from time with the living word. And it brings conviction. Because he not only wants to come into your heart in terms of salvation, he says, I kiss. He said, salvation has come to this house. I want to come into your heart, but I, I want to come into your life, but I also want to come into your home, which is I also want to come into your way of life. And that's what I believe he wants to do in many, many people's lives, even here today. Even here today, he wants to come into the way of life and bring powerful conviction which turns tides. Friends, it's power, the power of God, very important. It always forces a decision. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit is what changes a person, regions, even nations. When the conviction of God comes, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. But there's a pollution of purity. 
I'm going to speak about this. Now this, don't hear what I'm not saying. If you've known me for five minutes, you know that I'm a, I'm a grace guy. I love to speak on the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, because there's such a misunderstanding of that in today's world, in today's church specifically. Just the love of God. He loves us so desperately. And yet there is a deceptive pollution to purity and to its power that I see happening, obviously not with us, everyone else, but I, I see happening in the church and it is a concern to me, and I, it's not to put a heavy on you, it's, it, I believe it's the role of spiritual fathers to bring clarity. Hello? How many of you know it's so difficult to explain to someone how not to walk in legalism yet to pursue the Lord? It's like that has become confusing. It never used to be. Am I speaking truth? All right. So let's look at why. Why has it become like that? Okay. When there's a prevailing spirit over an area, I'm talking about a, a demonic stronghold, or region, or a nation. I, I, cannot, I don't know if this is coming up behind you. I think it may be. The church will either live in opposition to that spirit or is influenced by that spirit. There is no middle ground. There is none. And some people will attach their identity to warfare, so they want to go find out everything about the demonic so that they can live in... That's not always helpful. It's not to live in reaction to the enemy. It's to live in response to the Father. You'll find if you live in response to Him, He will start to move you in such a way that you're doing it naturally. And it's not just to warfare, it's to the way of life begins to demonstrate to the world that's under something that you are not. And it has power to it. It has tremendous power to it. And we either aggressively live against it in love, or we don't. Now some sin, the Bible says, are sins of the flesh. And the Bible talks about sins of the flesh or the, the filth of the spirit, the sins of the spirit. Now some people think you can't sin from your spirit, body, soul, spirit, because your spirit is pure. I'm not saying that. This is what I mean. When the sins of the flesh or the works of the flesh, things like adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sin, stuff we all know, when they are sustained over a long period of time, what begins to happen is the, the enemy, and this is not to bring fear, I'm just speaking as family this morning, yeah? The enemy will actually demonically empower that. And it becomes a spiritual sin. Give you an example. Galatians 5 talks about, it lists some of the sins of the flesh, and it actually says witchcraft or sorcery. People think, well, that's a spiritual issue. We would imagine that starting like in the spirit, in the demonic realm. But witchcraft is really just control and manipulation. It starts in the carnal realm. It starts in the heart of the person. It starts like that. And when that is sustained for a long time, the demonic will actually come behind it and reinforce or empower that, and now it's become something spiritual. Is that clear? When that's happening, it suddenly becomes harder to deal with and also harder to diagnose. It's harder, it, it's more deceptive, it's more, I can't, I, I don't know what, who knows that thing when you, you, you see something, you're like, there's something, I don't know what it is. Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah. There's something sustained. Now it doesn't mean we live in fear, no. Because he's greater than all of that. But that's actually what happens. Now, I believe the political spirit has come to destroy the call of God in a generation. I really believe that. And it angers me. You know, you cannot say anything at the moment. People say, gee, I didn't expect this this morning. Well, 
Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle in. In a good way. You know, the political spirit is like you cannot say anything to anyone of any age of any, without somebody being offended. It, it's so ridiculous that we all know it's there. We all know it's ridiculous. And it's, it's actually become to a place of absolute foolishness. It, it's the political spirit. And it's, it's very easy. We can say, oh, it's that person or that person. But we don't realize it creeps into the church in a different way. And somebody, there has to be a prophetic declaration of truth to actually peel something back so we can see, so we don't live under that. And the value for the political spirit is a good value. It's the value for what other people think and what other people feel. That's a good thing. That's actually a good thing. However, when the value for what other people think and what other people feel replaces what God thinks and what God feels, then creation is served instead of creator. And that's a problem. That's the clay saying to the potter, do this, be like this, be like that. And slowly the church in its desire to be accommodating loses the very supernatural power that causes the regional and national and personal change. And that is the power of purity. Through conviction. Because I'm not talking about being rude. Please understand, I'm not talking about being rude. I'm not talking about boycotting. Well, we're just going to go tell people. Every no, I'm not talking about that. Don't be like that. That's just not fun. It, it is to stand for something in love. It's not to, we don't fight flesh and blood. Yeah? But this church, will slow, it slowly comes into the church, and it, it, the desire to be relevant, the desire to not offend, the desire for the church to be able to reach people where they're at, and it slowly creeps in where you cannot actually declare truth any longer. And I see it in the body of Christ. The political, somebody said this, the political spirit in the church has given place to unsanctified mercy, which actually shields people from conviction. It shields people from conviction. It's very interesting. It's what was happening in the Corinthian church. It's exactly what was happening. Now, I don't think it's happening here. But there's something in my heart that I believe God wants us to release here, even to come out of here, to, to permeate the atmosphere in our region. Something of this that he's calling us to carry. I really believe that. When the world is offended, the church should demonstrate what it's like to live completely unoffended. And it starts with each other, obviously. But that's just a small aspect. There's something about the power of purity that when it's forgotten, we lose our authority. It's just reality. This is encouraging, yeah? Yes. Great. Okay. What happened in the Corinthian church? What was Corinth known for? If you go do history study, even in, not just in the Bible, even in other literature, Corinth was known as a city filled with sexual immorality. So what happened in the Corinthian church is you have, well, let's read. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14 it says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. He was the father of that church. And everybody quotes that verse, by the way, and he's just such a loving father. He's got a father's heart. You have many teachers, but not enough fathers. That actually is not the context. 
He was saying, you need a dad, and I'm going to come with a rod. So it's like, when you quote that, just know what you're saying. And he says, therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways, my life in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some, this is a strong wording. Now some are puffed up, meaning in knowledge. The teachers, they were coming to teach. Some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. Think of the power that he carried. They were puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. Saying, I will come and I will test these teachers publicly. Imagine that today. I long for this day. Real apostleship comes back to the church. I will come and test your teaching. Do you know him? And do you carry power? Which comes from relationships. Said, I'm not interested in what you say. What do you carry? Hello? Yeah, it's the Bible. So take it up with the Lord. It says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What do you want? Question mark. Shall I come to you with a rod or in love, in a spirit of gentleness? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality that is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. So this man was sleeping with his stepmother. That's an incestuous sexual immorality. What had happened? Their desire to be loving had caused them to come under the prevailing spirit in the area. And they started to look exactly like the world with a heart to love and be generous. And it says, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he has done this deed, that he might be taken away from you. For indeed I am absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has done this deed. It's funny, everyone says, well, you know, we don't judge, yet the Bible says judge. It doesn't say judge like we think. This man was the father of this church. Judge just means to separate. It means I'm going to come and actually bring clarity and bring love and clarity. Ephesians 4 says, speak the truth in love. So this is not pointing the finger or just some people use their faith as a base to be extremely rude. Well, the Bible says this. It, that's not helpful. We become love. We, we would rather be wrong. You know, it's not about being right. We become love. But our heart is to always restore. And he says this. Him who has done this in the name of verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ when you are gathered together. Along with my spirit and with the power of our Lord Jesus. Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord Jesus. Whoa. That's what the Bible says. It doesn't mean send him to hell. Please hear me. It means take him out from the church and let him go back to the world and he will understand what it is to live without the mutual benefit of covering and it will bring him to his knees in a place of restoration and repentance. It's the father's heart that says to the child, which my father once said to me, I love you with all my heart. The only way for you to see truth is you've got to leave my house. It's a, it's a heart for restoration. It's not a heart to prove. It's not a heart to punish. It's, not, it's none of that. It's the love of the Father. And then he says, your glorying is not good. What was happening? Let's use some buzzwords, just for fun. They were glorying, they were celebrating their tolerance. They were glorying in their tolerance of this man's issue. 
Now, we have to understand, I'm not talking about people making mistakes. I'm not talking about people struggling. It's not that. That's a legalistic mind. It's a person who is openly and publicly sleeping. It is a public case of incest. Everyone knows he refuses to change. He wants to come into the assembly and receive all the benefits and the power, because there was power in this church. Power and worship and communal, mutual uh, provision and, and friendship, but absolutely refused to change. Was, was not even, it was not even a question. And they were glorying in their tolerance of this man and saying, this is, this is we just love, this is wonderful. Please hear my heart. Uh, there's a value that we carry here at Free Life. Anybody should be able to walk through that door. You come as you are. This thing of I've got to change before I go, that's, that's actually from the devil. You come as you are. But it's our desire that you don't stay as you are. If we did desire that, it would actually be cruel. That's why you come. Hello? This text is not read that much, you know, in the church. You're glorifying, your glorying is not good. Do not know, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven. And he speaks about remove, just take it away, okay? But then in verse 9, which I don't think is going to come up behind you, which I apologize for. He says, I wrote to you in my epistle. Now that epistle we don't have. It's something that he wrote to them before 1 Corinthians. Not to keep company with sexual immoral people. Yet I did. So what had happened is they had removed themselves from the world. Jesus said, it's to live in the world but not be of it. That there's something in purity. There's something, the power of conviction that we can live around darkness but it doesn't affect us. It doesn't touch us. And so, for some people, the only way to do that is to remove themselves from every form of darkness. That's actually an Old Testament mindset. Like the Israelites in the desert before they encountered any other nations and tribes. There are seasons of being actually set apart that the Lord will call you to. But the point is, we're supposed to be alive. So he had written something they had misinterpreted, and he says this in verse 9. I wrote to you not to keep company with sexually immoral people, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world, or with the covetous or extortions or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But in other words, that's not the point. He says, but I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Now, unfortunately, people take this text and the, they start judging one another and you're this and it's extremely unhelpful. Please understand, it's not just talking about people living life and working stuff through. It's an extreme case. Can, can we understand that? And they actually kick him out. <laughs> if you go read 2 Corinthians, you'll see that it actually worked. He repented and he was fully restored. So there was a supernatural wisdom in what Paul was doing. So people would say, why remove the person? Because there is a power to purity that has long been forgotten in our desire not to be deemed overly religious, to lose our relevance, or to be unloving. But there is a power to purity, I believe with all my heart, that is long forgotten. It carries extreme power. There are places in the spirit where purity can penetrate where the power cannot there was power in this church. They were known to be a church filled with the power of God. Manifestations of the Spirit. Power. But purity was absent. 
Yet I've never seen genuine purity without power. There's a power to purity. It's powerful. We have to understand it's purity that causes us. Who remembers that story? I read it to you quite a while ago with Smith Wigglesworth. There's many people over the years that he just went into a train cart and he said not a word. And the people looked at him and said, sir, I'm convicted of sin. Who remembers that story? Okay. It's purity. And I can prove this biblically. It's purity that causes us to become contagious with who we carry. That's what it is. It's the power of purity that makes us infectious. In the same way, in a similar fashion, it's when the demonic attaches itself to a sustained sin of the flesh, the person, when that happens, when it becomes empowered, the person becomes contagious with that thing, whatever that is. And so sometimes a father has to say, I love you with all my heart, but now you're affecting, you've gone from a wounded sheep to a wolf, like you don't realize it, so I'm going to just put you over here and we're going to love and deal with you over here. You know, there's a story where if you, when they used to take the lambs into the house, little lamb, you know, they actually have long tails and they used to tie a band around it and eventually it would just fall off. It's pretty gr gruesome actually, it's gross. But if at the wrong time you let that band over, what caused the thing to fall off would actually be a type of extreme poison. And if you took it off, the poison would enter into the sheep and kill the sheep. Sometimes God restricts a person's options out of love and separates him for a little bit so he can bring life and wholeness. Am I being, making sense? Okay. Well, this is wonderful. Somewhere around 2013, the Lord said to me in my heart, he woke me up in the night and I saw the scripture written in a sense on a blackboard in my heart. It was very overpowering. And he said, woe to those, Isaiah 520, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And the Lord said to me, this day is coming. And I said, Lord, it's already here. He said, not like it's coming. That was in 2013. And you look how things have changed. It's so confusing, the political spirit, that people don't even know what's right and wrong. There's places in the Bible that says where the entire city could not anymore tell the difference between the left and right hand. It actually means they couldn't any longer discern right and wrong. <laughs> so there's a power. Let's talk about the power of purity. This is the exciting part. Ephesians 5, 25 to 27 says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So he starts talking about wives and husbands, but then he starts to talk about the bride of Christ, the bride of the church. And it says, sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the word. That word, word, is rhema. It means, we all know rhema and logos, but it means that which is uttered by a living voice. So it comes from relationship. And the word sanctify, as we know, means separate. Now what they would do in the Old Testament, they would take a, a normal cup where there was a 
a cup or a bowl or whatever. They would take a cup and they would sprinkle it with oil and sometimes blood. Always oil, sometimes blood, depending on what it was. And that would consecrate. That was actually what they called the sanctifying work. It was a physical thing they did. It was the sanctifying work which took something out of the general use of the community and separated it from general common use unto someone. It took it from something and separated it unto someone. And from that day, it was only allowed to be used in the temple. It was now sanctified, separate unto the house of the Lord, unto a person, unto God, unto someone. Now, what's interesting is when the priest, I think, is going to picture come up behind you. You see the tabernacle, then you see the bronze altar, right? Some say bronze, some say brazen. What happened is, you see the gate in the front at the bottom of the picture? A person would come in the gate. Now, when you want to, you know, go be with the Lord. A person would come in the gate, and the first thing that they would come to was a sacrificial issue. That's the brazen altar, the bronze altar. The very next thing, you would come to the bronze laver. Then you would go in and be with the Lord. Very interesting, very powerful, and I know this is theology, but you, I'm asking you to stick with me, because it's important. We all know blood deals with sin. Okay, so they come in, they have a sacrifice, they have atonement for sin, they are now, in a sense, in the New Testament, they are made righteous, they are justified, they are saved, they have the blood of let's say Christ in the New Testament, but then before they get to go in and experience the Lord, the prayer, the worship, that's the tabernacle, the showbread, the incense, prayer, worship, presence, power, the person of God himself. There's this bowl. Well, you have blood. What's the bowl for? Very interesting. The bowl was the bronze laver where the priest had to wash his hands and wash his feet constantly. Yet he had blood, so why do we need to wash? The hands they would wash would represent their service to people as a priest. We're all priests. It would represent their ministry, which we all have one. Their feet was their walk with the Lord. Now, the bronze laver, very important, was made from mirrors, and you can find it in Exodus 38, I think, verse 8. It was made from mirrors. When the people left Egypt, the woman took mirrors. You know, it's not like glass like we have. You know, it's like bronze, polished, was actually beautiful. They took all these mirrors. And when they wanted to make the items for the tabernacle, the woman donated mirrors to them. And they took these fine, perfectly looking mirrors and they made a bowl out of it. And they filled it with water, with living water. Now, very important. Why? If sin is taken care of through Christ, what's the washing? Why wash? They had to wash the dust off their feet and off their hands. What is that? They had to wash off the stuff of the world that clung to them, even if it wasn't their fault, even if it was not a sin issue. It was just something, and it's like you get sticky with the world. You know, if they didn't do it, they would actually die. Now, thank goodness for Jesus, that doesn't happen anymore. Yay. Yay, God. It's true. But they would actually wash that stuff off. Because without that, it changed what would happen in there. There are so many believers that are actually not aware of this truth. <laughs> now, it doesn't mean, please hear me, there are some who interpret this with fear. And I know I'm going back and forth. You guys with me? With fear, where they say, well, you know, because in the Old Testament... If a leper touched an Israelite, they had to walk around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. In the New Testament, Jesus touched the leper and the leprosy left. 
There's a New Testament pattern that's important. So people take this and they say, well, you see, we just got to go out of the world. No, that's not the point. You have something in you that's far more powerful, but there comes times in everybody's life. We all know what it's like. You all know what I'm talking about, where it's not a sin issue. It's just, I feel yuck. And so we go, and most of us try to deal with that in prayer. I mean, oh, Lord, I just, and it, you know, sort of, and it doesn't seem to work. Hello? It's like, uh, like a kid, you know, and, oh, Lord, there's something wrong, I don't know what it is. So what do we do? We get guilty, we confess everything we've ever done. We, no, it doesn't work. You know, and it's like we go to this guilt cycle, that's condemnation, that's not conviction. And we, we do all these things, yet the Bible's actually given us a very clear pattern. It's the washing that comes from the Word. From the Word. This word does something to a human heart. It makes clean. Why do I know it's the word? I'm going to prove it to you real quick. What did the Bible say in Ephesians 5? The sanctifying of the bride, which is the beautification of the bride through the washing of the word. What did Jesus say to the disciples? You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What was in the basin? The answer is behind me. Water. What was it made out of? Mirrors. Who was it from? Brides. That was given to them, that was formerly used to make a bride, had to do with beauty. Sanctify the bride, beauty of a bride. And they gave these mirrors, and so they would look into the water. What does James 1 say? When you look into the word as a mirror, which is that instrument, it's the word. Sometimes something will happen to you. People shout at you. I'll be vulnerable here. My wife and I were watching something a little while ago. I don't know, about a week ago. And we had watched like a season of something. And it's very difficult for us to watch stuff today. I'm just being real. I'm not trying to be super holy. I'm just being real. There's just not a lot of stuff we watch. It's just difficult. And we had finally found something that was good. It was actually good and was clean. and, And then we got to like the next season. And I think the writer changed. You know, they do that. Something's good, and then the writer changes, and it's awful. It's irritating. But anyway, and something came on the screen. It was vile. It wasn't my desire. It wasn't what I pursued. Yet something came before me, and I actually felt ill. It's like that. It's not a sin issue. It's the stuff of the world. And so most people will be going, pray God. It's not even a sin issue. I feel dirty because I live in a fallen world that's got sometimes nothing to do with me. So I go and sit and I just read. And I read. Because this is my husband. Jesus was the word made flesh. The husband says, by the cleansing with the water of the word, the washing of the word, there's something about this that it does to a human heart. It recalibrates. It makes clean. It's not even if you understand it. It makes clean. And it changes everything that I do inside with the Lord. Everything. People say, oh, I long to be able to hear the Lord like you do. I long for the presence of God in my quiet. I long. The the sacrifice is done. We have the blood of Christ. But there's something about the Word that when you go in, it changes the prayer, the anointing, the power, the presence of God. 
It says it here in Hebrews 10, verse 19 to 22. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Who knows that verse? Put your hand up high. Who knows this verse? We have boldness to enter, right? Everyone stops there. We have boldness to enter by the blood of Jesus. Yeah, the blood of Jesus. And I've done series. The blood of Jesus is incredible. It says, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near. Now, who of you love this something? You, can never, you cannot for any money buy the presence of God. We love the presence of God. It's his person. It's just about explain to us, New Testament, how to draw near. And yet I don't hear this verse preached on. I taught this to the youth years ago. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled. What's heart sprinkled? The blood. They would sprinkle the blood on everything. It says, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And everyone says, well, that's baptism. It's not. It's talking about as a priest goes in to the presence and power and person of God. You're a priest. You have been given access. But there's a strategy. It's not a method. It's a living relationship. But there's a strategy. There are times that no matter what I seem to do, I feel, ugh. It's this, friends. It says, draw near how? With a true heart. People say, well, my heart's not true. It's not legalistic. It just means I'm not going just through the motions. Who knows? It's not just do this, do this. It's the opposite of method. My heart loves the Lord. That's all. Faith. It's not some faith to move mountains. and It's not that. The Bible says, all who approach have a faith that believe that God exists and that he's a reward of those who seek him. It's just faith. I know he's there. I can't see him. It's just I have an awareness that he's there. That's it. Most people, we get that. The heart's true. I know. I love the Lord. I believe in him. And then it says, the heart's sprinkled from an evil conscience. What's that? Don't live with a sin-conscious mindset. That's Old Testament. Don't wake up not to sin. Don't live in a reaction to the devil. And Some people will take this message on purity and do that exactly thing. It's saying, your heart's been sprinkled by the blood of Jesus to set you free from an evil conscience. Your nature has changed. We live unto him. I don't wake up with what not to do. But it's like, okay, I get that. I, that's grace. I love the grace of God, the justification. It's a scandalous truth. And so we get this. I'm justified. I'm righteous. I live in God's favor. It's a, oh, he loves me. And yet there's something not working when I'm with him. Hello? Who knows what I'm talking about? It says, and by the washing with water. It's this. It's just this. Friends, there's something about this word. But it's the living word. It's not just go read the Bible. Read it until he speaks to you. Because it, it says, by the washing of the water of the word, Ephesians 5, that word is rhema. It's the living voice. It's like I want to put this message in you. Read it until he speaks to you. It's not about understanding everything. Read it and suddenly, whew, that's the living voice. It recalibrates you. It makes clean. It reminds of values. It shows you in a mirror who you actually are. Then I go in 
in this prayer and the presence of God, and the voice of God, and the power of God into the most holy place that's no longer that veil, and the person of God. And I come in and I commune with him. The dust of the world is the stuff that sticks is gone. It changes what happens in the secret place. It does read until he speaks to you. The beautifying of the bride in purity comes from the living voice. So the blood deals with sin. The word deals with the defilement of the world. And it's often not your issue. It's not even your issue. If this truth, and want to take this and speak it out to the nation, because there's a forgotten power in purity that when the church loses the power of purity and they glory in their ability to tolerate, not to tolerate people, but in their look how nothing bugs us or whatever, because they so much want to be loving, there's something that starts to seep into the church where truth can no longer penetrate the heart. The stuff of the world has begun to stick and we need to come back into the Word and say, God, we long for your presence. We long for your power. We long for revival. But there's something not... It's this. It's this. And we begin to carry purity again. Genuine purity. I see it so rarely. Purity. It's so powerful. I'll get on to the next point, maybe next week. Let me just say this. Psalm 96 verse 9 says, I worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. There's something about when a church or a bride, when the people carry purity, which is holiness, that causes the world to remember who God is. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness and the world trembles in an awesome God. Purity always, 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 always carries beauty. Always. Always. I've known people, there's such a purity to them. It's not even about them being attractive, but they shine. Who knows what I'm talking about? They shine for the Lord. It's not their gifting, it's not the anointing, it's not how much faith they have. They shine, there's something that beams out of them. It's the power of purity. It's a forgotten power. It's a power, it's a weapon. It's a weapon. Zacchaeus came around Jesus. He didn't do miracles. He just was around the one who was pure. And conviction invaded his heart. And it turned a hard man. The power of purity. Purity is what causes a person to seemingly carry tangible conviction. It's purity. It's not the anointing. It's, it's purity. It's what enables people. And it's not works. It's out of love. There's so much you can hear that I'm not saying. I'm asking the Lord to not let the enemy speak that into your heart. There's an ability for people to carry tangible conviction. Meaning what? People cannot be around you and not change. That's what it means. People cannot be around Jesus. It's so attractive. Purity is so attractive. 
I've seen young men attracted to young ladies that I know they don't know what it is. It's like, I just want to be around that girl. And they're like a skeleton, you know? It's just they're in all sorts of stuff, but so, it's a purity issue. It's so attractive. Man, what does, on any human, purity shines and it draws in. It draws people in. It has power. And when the bride is attractive, when the bride is pure, the world will see Jesus for who he is. It attracts people to Jesus, friends. It's so powerful. And I long for the day when people cannot be around me and not change. I'm not legalistic about it. I just say, God, people shouldn't be able to get her. I remember growing up, and I'll honor my parents. Man, I had some rough buddies, let me tell you. And they couldn't be around my parents. They would come and be like, hi, sir. And I mean, they wouldn't look at him. They wouldn't go. There's a purity. They couldn't be there and not change. That's a light unto the world. Now, do not let the enemy put condemnation or heaviness on you. But let him draw your heart. Let him draw your heart.